in recording. Uh, today we're going to be taking a look at the gas explosion that occurred at Lake Neos in 1986. And just a content warning for you, beloved listeners, this disaster is recent and it has an extremely high death toll. Yeah. Uh, it is a huge, huge tragedy. And it's not one that's super well known over in this part of the world, but the, the folks over in Cameroon are still feeling the effects of this, you know, 30 years Definitely. later. Definitely. So. Welcome to Relative Disasters, the show where my brother and I manage our existential dread by talking about terrible and interesting historical events and their context implications and any related sidebars we feel like discussing. I'm Ella, chair of the Limnic Problems Department here at Relative Disasters University. And I'm her brother Greg, head of the degassing systems here at Relative Disasters Incorporated. Oh, you got a promotion. Nice. So today we're talking about a Cameroonian disaster. Cameroon is a country in West Africa on the Atlantic coast. If you think of Africa as like a, a footprint, it's right below the ball of the foot. So it's at what's called the hinge of Africa. Yes. The Republic of Cameroon has Nigeria to the west and north and Chad to the northeast. So it's it's a nice little spot. Of it the really world. is. It's, it's got a little bit of coastline. Yeah. So it's had some ups and downs politically and economically since gaining independence from France in 1960 and Britain in 1961. Yeah, that's that's 1960 and 1961. Right. Everybody, not not, not 1860, <laughs> not 1760. This, yeah. Uh, and before that, it was Ooh. also occupied and colonized by the Germans since about the mid 1800s. And what do we say about colonization here on Relative Disasters? Colonization ruins everything. Yeah, it is its own It is its own <laughs> disaster. Really. So since gaining independence, Cameroon has suffered through some really tough economic times. About a quarter of the people living there are below the poverty line and surviving on about $1.50 per day. Yep. People there are mostly reliant on subsistence farming or cash crops like yeah. coffee, plantains, tobacco. Yep. But their GDP is growing, yep. and their biggest problem is rampant corruption in the government, and that is slowly getting better. Yeah. And one thing they have going for them is, I actually didn't know this, a relatively high rate of education and literacy compared yeah. to their neighboring countries. Yeah, abssolutely. Uh, they're not they're not on the level of like Botswana or somebody, but they're getting they're there. Getting there. Uh, and from everything I read, it sounded like a really quiet rural country. People describe it as peaceful and quiet. Um, and very beautiful. And they have a very successful uh, national football team. I did read about that. Yeah, their 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 football team is very. They're kicking good. butt. Yeah, they're really good. <laughs> so go Cameroon. Uh, this is not a football story, unfortunately. No, this is a story about a lake. The lake is called Lake Neos, and it's in an area that's very hilly and mountainous. It's actually in the crater of an extinct volcano, yeah. and right smack in the middle of a line of volcanoes. Which contributes to the problem it's very beautiful very scenic you know gorgeous right i mean as we discussed in our pompeii episode volcanoes make great beautiful farmland yep. and the area around lake neos has very rich soil yep. so it supports all kinds of farming all kinds of vegetables and fruit things like yams beans taro tomatoes peanuts things like that and then cash crops like cotton and tobacco yeah they also have grazing land for cattle pigs and sheep and Lake Neos is full of fish. Yeah. So the people living there must have eaten very well back in the day. Yeah. All right. So the unusual thing about Lake Neos 
because nothing is perfect, uh, is that <laughs> the water at the bottom of the lake is saturated in carbon dioxide. Yes. And that's because it lies right over an underground magma pool, which kind of burps up all kinds of gases, which trickle up through the bedrock into the lake. If you look at a cross section, it's almost like a cap. Yeah. Lake Neos is very... It looks like an elf hat. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> because it, Lake Neos is extremely still, it's spring-fed, it doesn't have any major inlets or outlets, yeah. and it's surrounded by hills and cliffs, so it's protected from the wind. And it's also extremely deep. Yeah. It's almost 700 feet deep at the deepest point. Yeah, it's very, very deep. So if you think of all the pressure that's balancing on that really deep water and when you realize that there's gas coming up from below if you think of shaking a bottle of champagne there's only so much you can do right the pressure will build up until the cork pops or the glass breaks and everybody cries because you just wasted a bottle of champagne and if you think of the magma pool like constantly adding more pressure to the gas buildup at the bottom of lake neos you can kind of imagine that at some point the weight of the water Remember, it's this massive, very still body of water kind of balancing on all this gas buildup. So at some point, the weight of the water can't continue to contain the gases. So at this point, the gas will bubble up and dissipate into the atmosphere. However, because we're talking about tons and tons and tons of gas, and it's being held in place by hundreds of tons of water, it's not like a gentle bubbling up. No. It's more like a massive water eruption. Most of this gas is carbon dioxide. There are other gases in there that are equally horrible, yeah. but the main part of this gas buildup is carbon dioxide. There's hydrogen sulfide and sulfur dioxide and other yes. nastiness in there. All nastiness. There's no like pleasant, happy gas that will make you feel good. It's all, <laughs> there's no, it's there's all no nitrous oxide in the bottom of that. <laughs> Not in this lake, unfortunately. Uh, So CO2 is, of course, odorless, colorless, invisible. We are used to breathing it in. We breathe it in and out all day. It becomes a problem when there's too much and it displaces the normal oxygen content in air. So our lungs can't process it. And once it gets into our lungs, we suffocate. So when you inhale too much carbon dioxide, it kind of stimulates and depresses your nervous system. Yeah, you basically go to sleep. Well, depending on the concentration or how much oxygen is left in the air, You could end up with a headache. You could start feeling drowsy. Uh, Your sight and hearing functions will go away. Mm -hmm. It can push up your heart rate. And, you know, at the far end of the scale, it will cause unconsciousness, coma, and death very quickly, like within minutes. And the interesting thing that I didn't know is that this is bad news for not just humans, but every aerobic Oh, yeah. Anything that breathes. Anything that breathes. Animals, fish, birds, insects. So the people living around Lake Neos were sort of aware of this danger just because a lot of local evidence of CO2 poisoning was just, you know, readily available. It would kind of like come up through the mud in the spring. Yeah, you'd get these bubbles. Right. And people talk about finding like dead frogs and snakes lying at low points of the ground where CO2 collects. And then eventually like it collects and then it blows away. Yeah. So it's not something that would have killed people very often. But the people living in this area in 1986 would also have been aware of an event that took place nearby in Lake Manoon. Did you read about this? Yes. Yeah. So that's about 60 miles away from Lake Neos. And in that case, there was some kind of seismic event that let out some carbon dioxide that had been trapped at the bottom of the lake, which rolled from the surface of the lake to the valley below. 
and it, again, like the CO2 puddles, it kind of settled at a low point in the valley. Yeah, because the thing that's important about CO2 is that it's heavier than, than air. So it won't come right. up and then rise. It will come up and then it will settle back down to the ground. So if you happen to be on the ground, you're going to be breathing it in. And, and in Lake Manoon, uh, 37 people were killed by that. Right, which is extremely horrible. It's not as famous as this event, and right. I couldn't find too much about it aside from the death toll and just the fact that nobody really seems to know what caused it. Yeah. And it doesn't seem like people in the area were alarmed enough to evacuate. Yeah. So on the evening of August 21st, 1986, a massive carbon dioxide event occurred at Lake Neos, and it's unclear exactly what started it. Did you read a couple of the theories? Yeah, there's all kinds of theories. In Lake Neos's case... There is evidence of a landslide occurring, which would have impacted the lake with enough force to cause the overturn. Uh, there may mm -hmm. have been a small volcanic eruption uh, on the bed of the lake. Uh, mm -hmm. One of the other theories is that because part of this is temperature related, when you have warmer water towards the surface and much colder water at the bottom, if there's a sudden increase or decrease in either one of those temperatures, that can cause an overturn. Mm -hmm. Another theory is that there was cold rain that basically only fell on one side of the lake, and that would have done enough enough of a temperature change uh, on that side to cause something. Other theories is that there may have been an earthquake, although uh, the mm -hmm. survivors did not report feeling tremors. Uh, it may have been a, a subterranean earthquake with very little activity on the surface. But mm -hmm. at any rate, the supersaturated deep water rapidly mixed with the upper layers of the lake, and that caused the CO2 to basically come flying out of the water. And literally, uh, there was an explosion, right? Right. So it's it gets really tricky at this point because there are no witnesses. No one is here watching the lake as it explodes right. or if they were they did not survive okay to tell us about it but scientists theorize that whatever the trigger was it caused something that disrupted this gas which then came rushing up in a geyser in the middle of the lake okay and it fell back on the lake and created this kind of huge cloud of heavy fog the level of the lake dropped by almost a meter and trees around the lake were knocked down. Right. So you can imagine the force yeah, that this absolutely. event happened with. Okay. Because the lake is a crater lake, it's higher than the surrounding areas. Yep. So that dense, heavy fog of carbon dioxide and other gases falls over the brim of the crater and descends into the valleys below at a speed of 30 miles per hour. Yikes. Yeah. Yikes. Uh, this may not have been a very loud event. Some survivors reported hearing like a distant rumble or boom, but okay. it's not unusual to have a thunderstorm in the evening. Right, right. And it's not loud enough to really be alarming to anyone. And this was around 9 p.m. on a Thursday, which was a market day. Okay. So the people living below the lake were either asleep or preparing to go to bed. And God. there doesn't seem to be any attempt to evacuate. And there's really no time for that anyway. There's only about three minutes between the noise and when this cloud of carbon dioxide and other gases hits the nearby villages. Okay. So the gas cloud is big enough to cover an area of about 15 square miles around the lake. Yeah. The village of Neos is closest to the lake, and there are some neighboring villages called Cam, Cha, and Saboom that are also in this area. Yeah. 
So in Neos, Cam, and Cha, almost no one survives. There are a couple isolated cases. There's a man who drank palm oil and locked himself in a shed. Uh, and there's a baby who somehow survives. God. But aside from these and a few more cases, the villages are completely wiped out. And if you think back to when we described who is affected by CO2, it's humans, livestock, yeah. wildlife, and insects yeah. are killed by suffocation. And the vast majority of the deaths in Neos, Cam, and Cha villages occur within minutes of the lake explosion. So in Saboom, which is slightly further away, there are some survivors who are poisoned by the gas, but wake up, sometimes after a period of hours or days. Okay. There's a woman named Prudencia Kang who describes hearing an explosion that was so small she didn't think anything of it, and then falling into a heavy sleep soon afterwards. Uh, when she woke up, she and her surviving children were coughing up dust. Oh, and another woman, also in Saboom, woke up in her family compound to see all of their animals lying dead in the dirt, and nearly her whole family had passed away, 53 out of the 56 people who lived there. God. I mean, that's just that's just waking up and finding your whole neighborhood gone. That's horrible. I can't even imagine. No. Just the the trauma. And, 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 and how fast it is. I mean, it's you go to bed one night, and then you wake up, and everybody in your town is dead. Like, that's unbelievable. It's horrifying. I mean, there are other stories of people who survive. They wake up feeling really sick. Yeah. Uh, they're unable to see or speak. But the photographs of the villages and the farms, they just show death and loss at a scale that's really hard to understand. It's just yeah. unimaginably horrible. Yeah. And these poor survivors just losing their whole families and everyone they knew. Like, yeah. I, I don't know how you cope with something like that. Yeah. I don't think any of us know how anybody copes with something like that. The, the, the pictures that are very striking, there was a picture I found that was like from the air and mm -hmm. there aren't many people in the picture, but there are just lines and lines of, of dead cattle just everywhere. And that yeah. one was, was, I mean, it's just horrifying because it, it, it doesn't, uh, you know, you can't outrun it and you don't even know it's there until you go unconscious and die. Right. And no warning, no idea no. that this was a possibility, no. just... Okay, so now we're, we're at Friday morning and people are waking up. Okay. One man from Subum is awake enough around midday the next day to get on his motorbike and drive to Womb for help. Uh, Womb is the nearest, kind of like a medium-sized city. Yeah. There, that's the place with the hospitals and the police. Is this Joseph McQueen? Yes. Okay, yeah. His account is heartbreaking. Horrific. He basically describes the trip from hell. He's passing family houses and compounds, which are completely silent. Yeah. Uh, and these are people he knows. These are his neighbors and yeah. relatives. And, and this is after waking up and finding his, his daughter dead. His, mm -hmm. his whole family is gone. And he's driving through these towns on his motorcycle. And it's just every, you know, all of these people that he knows are just dead. Right. And it's completely silent. I don't know if yeah. I can even imagine how quiet it was because... Because there's nothing thinking, there to make noise. There's no birds singing in the trees. There's no insects chirping. Like, that's... I, I just... Oh, God. Right, and he knows that the people he's finding are dead. They're not asleep. Right. But there are no flies. Yeah. Which yeah. had to God. be incredibly unsettling. Uh, uh, okay, so poor... This poor guy. Yeah. He makes it to womb, he goes straight to the hospital, and he tries to tell doctors and aid workers what he's seen, yeah. 
Remember, they don't know what's happened. Right, right. Nobody knows at this point. But his lungs are so badly damaged, he can't speak. Yeah. So at some point on Friday afternoon, the authorities go to check on Subum and Neos. But they stop when they come to the first bodies. And their concern is that whatever killed the villagers might still be there. And they're not thinking gases at this point. They're They're thinking tropical diseases. Yeah, exactly. Or some horrible thing. Right. Uh, They just don't feel like they have enough knowledge to keep going. Which is where I would have stopped, so right. no doubt. And I mean, and this is such a rare type of natural disaster that, you know, it's not something that people would have necessarily known to look out for anyway, you know? Right. And I think any country in the world, this would have happened. Yeah. Sorry, not not that it could have occurred at any place, but I think right. there would have been this hesitancy in any kind of emergency aid effort. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, they have a priest with them at this point, Father Tenhorn. And he's worried that if there are survivors, they might need help. Okay. So the police say, why don't you go ahead and see? And as soon as he's out of sight, they head back to Womb to wait there. Sure. Father Tenhorn has a truck, and he drives his truck through Cha and Neos, making several stops. And again, this poor guy, all he finds are bodies. Houses are still locked up and prepared for bed. Uh, it's completely silent. The lights and the stoves are all out. There isn't any sign of life at all. He describes it later as witnessing the aftermath of a neutron bomb that had killed every living thing instantly. Finally, he makes it to Saboom, and finally he finds some survivors. There are people just walking around in a daze. Others are alive but unconscious. And these people are not... Like, when we think of people waking up in a post-apocalyptic world, we always think that they're going to be in great shape and they're going to no. be, like, jumping up to run away from zombies or whatever. No, these people are wrecked. These are not these people. These people are in really bad shape. Yeah. Uh, like the man who made it to womb, their lungs and throats are damaged. Uh, people are suffering from brain, eye, and skin damage, yeah. uh, which later were attributed to exposure to not just carbon dioxide, but hydrogen and sulfur gases carbon dioxide also causes sensory hallucinations yeah so to further confuse things some survivors report witnessing things that may not have actually happened oh god okay okay so at this point the rescue and evacuation effort begins father tenhorn uses his truck to carry loads of survivors to hospitals and clinics and aid workers back to saboom and the police begin to investigate okay And this is the point where things get very time sensitive. So the relatives of those killed want to bury the dead and leave the area because nobody really knows what has happened yet or if it's going to happen again. And then there is a larger problem. This is a hot climate. Uh, Leaving bodies lying in the sun for days and days is going to pretty much guarantee a disease outbreak. And these guys know disease. Right. They're used to treating some really horrible tropical diseases. And they know that this is a foregone conclusion. If they leave these bodies out in the sun, more people are going to die. So survivors and relatives begin to dig mass graves. And the relief effort commandeers the only supply of big vehicles. Did you read about this? No. So apparently the big vehicles in this area of Cameroon are beer trucks. Okay. So the military and police are brought in by beer trucks. Okay. And the survivors are brought out by beer trucks. Okay. Well... I guess okay. good to serve a purpose. The devastation that they find is just way beyond what they were expecting. Uh, and the first relief effort is quickly overwhelmed. Okay. So an estimated 1,750 people are dead 
Yeah. And that is houses and yards and streets full of people. And so are over 5,000 head of livestock. Oh, my God. Yeah. Lake Neos itself is bright red and full of dead fish. Yes. And why is it bright red? Because this is a cool science <laughs> factoid. Give it to us. Okay. Because what winds up happening is that iron-rich water from the bottom of Lake Neos gets forced to the surface and mm-hmm. once it hits the surface it becomes oxidized so the whole lake turns this deep blood red there are pictures I of it I cannot imagine anything creepier it's it's extremely creepy but yeah it was iron rising to the surface and getting oxidized so essentially right. it had a nice layer of rust on the top great yeah we also have a lot of dead wildlife all throughout the forest and fields oh, yeah just to add to Everything. the problem. Yeah. yeah. So the Cameroonian emergency response teams have the impossible task of trying to help survivors figure out what happened, uh, prevent it from happening again, yep. and clean up. So this all has to happen at the same time, and they just don't have the manpower or the equipment to do both. Right. Especially with, the, you know, the clock ticking towards putrefaction and disease. Yeah. Yeah. So almost from the beginning, the cleanup effort is aided by a lot of NGOs and foreign governments. Did you read about Shimon Peres, the Prime Minister of Israel? Yes, but but share so, share the share the thing. <laughs> I just thought it, it it's very random. He happens to be making a state visit to Yaounde at the time of the disaster, yeah. and he immediately sends Israeli food and medics to Womb by helicopter. Uh, scientists and aid packages come rushing in from the U.S., Canada, Germany, Spain, and the French president, uh, Francois Mitterrand, makes a series of visits to the area to offer the French government's help and support to establish refugee camps for the survivors. It's kind of nice when people can, you know, help out. I think so. Um, And this seems like an easy disaster to help out with. There's no, like, ongoing threat. Yeah, it's just a lot of death. Exactly. Which, you know, sadly is more manageable than. Well, yeah, it's more manageable than a pathogen like sweeping trying through to stop there a, or a exactly, raging or fire trying to or anything like that. Deal with a volcano or a wildfire. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. So, with all this help, the survivors are resettled, the dead are buried, autopsies and necropsies confirm the causes of death to be suffocation from exposure to carbon dioxide and other gases. Yeah. And in March of 1987, the Cameroonian government is finally in a position to decide what to do about Lake Neos itself. So they hold a conference with UNESCO and 200 Cameroonian and foreign scientists to determine what exactly happened in Lake Neos and what Cameroon can do to prevent it from happening again. Okay. We discussed some of the theories earlier, but the main finding was that the event was probably not volcanic in origin. Right. And that's good news. Yes. Right. Because there's no (laughs) way to prevent or predict. Underground volcanic activity. And the scientists eventually decide that the causes are limnological. Right. I had to look up this word and then I fell in love with it and I will use it every day. Yes. So limnology is the study of freshwater ecosystems. Yes. I actually have a limnology textbook and it it fills me with joy. Nerd. (laughs) You're welcome to borrow it at any time. Thanks. Maybe another time. Uh, So you know that limnology is the study of freshwater ecosystems. And they're saying, the scientists are saying that the event was caused by factors having to do with the composition of the lake waters in Lake Neos. Yes. 
specifically the extremely high accumulation of gases at the bottom of the lake. What they recommend is that the lake be monitored, especially at the lower depths, that other lakes in the area be tested, and that people stay miles away from Lake Neos until the event is better understood. Right. So there are about 40 freshwater lakes in the area. (laughs) So we have not actually gone into what a limnic eruption is. Go for it. Oh, okay. This type of natural disaster is called a limnic eruption. It's also known as a lake overturn, and it basically happens when carbon dioxide erupts from a lake. You need to have a very, very deep lake that has different thermal layers with differing CO2 saturations. So if, like Lake Neos. Like Lake Neos, and, and I'm sure we're going to talk about the other two lakes in Cameroon that mm-hmm. also have these traits. What winds up happening is that the water has to hit a saturation point. And once it hits a saturation point, it can be very, very unstable, but it, it won't just do it on its own. It needs to have some kind of trigger. Once that trigger mm-hmm. hits, the gas will erupt incredibly quickly essentially it's it's as if the lake burps that's it's it's right. kind of the worst way to describe it but that's basically what it is bubbles will start to form and the bubbles will come up from the lower lake water through the upper lake water they'll mix the oxygen saturation levels and then you will get an explosion because the water at the bottom will be pulled up by suction by the rapid release of gases from the water at the top And what this does is it not only will disperse this cloud of CO2, but it can also knock enough water out of the lake to make a tsunami. So you will see, you know, houses, trees, everything around the lake get knocked down. These are incredibly rare, incredibly rare. Most lakes Mm -hmm. are holomictic, which is a very fun term, which I love, Um, but holomictic Mm -hmm. lakes are lakes where they're, the layers of the water mix, like, all the time, okay? So, you know, the upper layer is warm, and then it sinks down to the colder layer, which warms up and rises back up to the warmer layer, okay? And when that happens, you can't get dissolved gases building up. It'll, they'll just come out naturally. Mm-hmm. This lake is a meramictic lake. A meramictic lake is a lake where... Because of how the lake is constructed, the layers do not mix. They're stratified, so you'll get the layer of warm and then colder and colder, but they won't mix, and that will keep the CO2 sort of locked in there. Meramictic lakes are very rare. They're not common at all. We may not even have any in like entire countries, but if you have a meramictic lake that is incredibly deep and has a proximity uh, to areas with with volcanic activity, Mm -hmm. you will get the conditions needed to have a limnic eruption. Dude, look at you with your textbook. That's so much of a better explanation than I had. Okay, (laughs) great. (laughs) I think the the thing that is most interesting about the eruption itself is that Mm -hmm. it's the the sheer force of, of suction that happens so like when the co2 starts coming out it'll be a bubble at first but that bubble will pull up everything under it and then you just get this runaway effect that literally can't be stopped until the co2 is out and it's absolutely devastating Mm -hmm. as we see here right so what can you do about it to prevent them well interestingly that suction is 
kind of key at this point. Exactly. So the scientists who are looking at Lake Neos think that the gas problem can be solved by installing valves at the deepest point of each lake. Big pipes. So if you imagine, <laughs> yeah, it's a pipe. It's big it's, pipes. It is, I'm not kidding you, it is a plastic PVC pipe. It is. That they just like stuck into the bottom of the lake. Now you have to be... It does not look like it should work. It looks like a DIY project on It really long. does. <laughs> it really does work. <laughs> so the science behind why it works is also amazing. Mm -hmm. So basically when you stick a pipe and remember Lake Neos at its deepest point is 700 feet deep. Yeah, it's probably a couple pipes. You need a big pipe. <laughs> you need a very large pipe. <laughs> I don't know if they're plastic all the way yes, down. Yes, you can't you can't go to the local, you know, home improvement store and get and get one of these. <laughs> Well, not with that attitude. Not with you that attitude, you can't. <laughs> so what it does is when you sink the pipe down, you have to get it. You have to kind of kickstart it with a siphon. Right. And what winds up happening is essentially when you start it with a siphon, the cold water at the bottom will siphon up the pipe, bringing its CO2 with it and then releasing it at the surface. So what you're doing is you're creating a whole bunch of these little eruptions using mm -hmm. a pipe in a controlled manner because with the same uh, with the same problem that happens during an actual limnic eruption where stuff is pulled up by suction it works exactly mm -hmm. the same way in the pipe the gas will naturally pull up more of it and with with enough time and enough pipes you are actually degassing the lake right you're venting out the gas before it can reach dangerous levels exactly yeah. so you're keeping the pressure to the point below hopefully where it will explode now the only problems with this <laughs> down at the bottom of lake neos mm -hmm. because of the dissolved co2 in the water the water is actually acidic so what winds up happening mm -hmm. is it's corroding the pipes and so you have to constantly be maintaining the pipes and whatever um, electronics you're using to monitor them mm -hmm. and then the other thing is that you want to release enough CO2 so it can't build up to another limnic eruption. Right. What you don't want to do is release so much CO2 that you get this layer of CO2 over over the lake. Yeah, that sounds bad. Would, yeah, I mean, it would make, it would basically kill all the wildlife at, at lake level. Yeah. And the, the French Cameroonian team in January of 2001 installed uh, one big pipe in Lake Neos mm -hmm. and then an, uh, a couple more in 2011 and they are they're working right they're definitely doing something they look kind of like a water feature yeah they really do it's kind of it's kind of nice yeah but studies have actually shown that it's unclear if it's venting gas as fast as it's building up okay so right now even after like decades of venting the pressure at the bottom of Lake Neos is still five times higher than the pressure in an unopened bottle of champagne, end quote. Oof. Yeah, I don't know what that feels like, but it seems dangerous. Can you imagine what would happen to somebody going down you to get the squished. bottom of Lake Neos? Yeah. yeah, you would get squished and you would not be able to breathe. It would be dark and unpleasant. You would die right away. <laughs> I mean, it's... Okay, cool, 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 cool. And they did the same thing at Lake Manoon also. Yes. Now on Lake Manoon it looks like that project is actually the pipes in Lake Manoon have rendered it quote unquote safe. So okay, that one seems to be working pretty well. So these are obviously people keep an eye on them. Yes. There are people keeping an eye on the seismic activity, the pressure in the lake, 
what exactly is coming out of the vents, how pressurized the vents are. But so long as there is the potential for another catastrophic event like the 1986 explosion, yeah. the Cameroonian government keeps a strict dead zone around both lakes. So, I mean, that's a smart idea. It's a smart idea, but remember, that's really rich farmland, and they're not allowing people to settle there, yeah. graze their animals, or grow crops. Because if none of this stuff is working, it could at any point kill everybody. Right. It's, it's like the people living around Vesuvius. I mean, well, it didn't erupt yesterday. <laughs> right, but it's anyway. not as easy as just moving away. So 4,500 no, yeah. survivors of the explosion settled right away in that refugee camp. Sorry, it's a resettlement camp, not a refugee camp. Okay. They've been okay. living there for over 30 years, waiting for permission to go back to their land and houses. Oh, yeah. And please remember, yeah. their family members are buried there as well. And they're yeah. not allowed to go back. Yeah. Recently, right. within the past few years, parts of Saboom were opened up for resettlement. The government okay. is has promised to underwrite the rebuilding of roads, markets, schools. It's really unclear when or if that will ever happen in Neos or the other villages. Okay. But you have to really feel for those people who were displaced and are still displaced. There are now something like 20,000 people wanting to move back i was gonna say if they've been if they've been in a resettlement camp this entire time i mean that's an entire generation right and this is like ancestral land this is not i don't know i keep thinking of the town where we grew up because in yeah parts of the story i can just see this happening uh in the place where we grew up which is full of freshwater lakes and a little bit creepy at times uh and when i think (laughs) when i think about like being told I could live right outside that area, but I couldn't go back in and see where you grew see up, where see where you grew your parents up. were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See the land that you probably still own, and, or you know, see your family that are buried here. Yeah, that's right. Fine. So we mentioned two of these incredibly unusual and fascinating lakes. There is a third. That's Lake, Lake Kivu. Kivu. Lake Kivu is not in Cameroon. It's on no. the border between the Democratic Republic of Congo and Rwanda. You want to tell us a little bit about Lake Kivu, Greg? So Lake Kivu is, it is one of the African Great Lakes. It is huge. It is 90 kilometers long and 50 kilometers wide at its widest point. It's got neat little islands in the middle of it. It has a surface area of something like 2,700 square kilometers. It is a huge lake. It also has tons of historical evidence for a limnic eruption about every thousand years. Okay, and let's also point out that there are millions of people living around this lake, unlike oh, yeah. Neos and Lake Manoon. Oh yeah, millions of people living around it. There, they every island on it is populated. It's, it's. I mean, basically, this this lake is absolutely gorgeous. Like, I, I mm-hmm. this is also the world's eighteenth deepest lake. At its deepest point, it is 475 meters. That is 1,560 feet deep. Yeah. So, because it's so deep, and because it's on a a, 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 a volcanic chain, and because it is... Say it with me now, it's our word of the day. It is a mm-hmm. meramictic lake. <laughs> it 
is absolutely a limnic eruption hotspot. Yeah. And as with the other lakes, they don't know what causes the limnic eruptions. That's horrifying. I'm sorry. (laughs) Even though we know that the Lake Neos pipes are removing gas from the water, they can't do that with Lake Kivu. For one thing, Lake Kivu is a lot deeper. And for another, Lake Kivu is... It's too expensive. They don't want to sink that much money into into doing it. And it's hard to argue with that from an economic standpoint. The other thing that's coming out of Lake Kivu is, uh, is a lot of methane. Because the lake water interacts with volcanic hot springs at the bottom. And about 65 cubic kilometers of methane comes out of that lake a year. And what they were hoping to do is get somebody out there to harvest it uh, for burning as a, you know, a, a natural gas to, to burn. You know, it, it would be good for, for electricity, it would be good for heating, whatever you need it for. However, the really big issue here is that the concern is that in a limnic eruption, all that methane getting forced out of the water as well could absolutely spark a methane explosion. Yeah, and if you think of the scale of Lake Kivu compared yeah. to Lake uh, Neos or Manun, oh yeah, and the amount of people living right on the edge. Yeah, of, there uh, there are Lake an Kivu. estimated two million people living just around the you know around the sides basically. Right, and then you add Lake in Kivu. how many cubic kilometers of methane? A horrifying amount. Uh, sixty-five per year. <laughs> and I mean, you can see the potential for an even more Absolute catastrophe. disaster, which is oh God, reflected yes. in the fossil record. Yes. Did you read about this? Every, yes. Every thousand years, there is a whole pile of nastiness that they found. Complete extinction events around right. the entire lake. It's, it's interesting because usually a fossil record has things that carry from one essentially layer to another mm-hmm. and in this it's more like nope everything here is gone and then life slowly rebuilds and then nope everything here is gone there is a word in Swahili. did you did you did you read about mazuku no what is that okay so mazuku is the swahili word for evil wind oh boy. and what it is is it's the term for carbon dioxide rich air that is lethal to human and animal life okay and it doesn't just happen with limnic eruptions. It can happen with volcanic activity and everything else. But it's such a well-understood term mm-hmm. that you can find them documented in the fossil record. On Lake Kivu, they have repeated and massive lake turnover events, including methane explosions, including tsunamis, Ugh. and they're labeled as mazuku. Interesting. Oh, that's yep. so interesting. Okay. So it's not a matter of if it will happen again. It's it's a matter it of when. Happen. Okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, yeah. So obviously both Congo and Rwanda are investing a lot of resources into figuring out how they can predict and or prevent yep. a limnic explosion on that scale. And I was interested that you brought up power plants because Rwanda yep. has been investigating whether the methane concentration can be used to solve their problems with the local power grid. Yes. So only 35% of the people living in Rwanda have access to electricity. Yep. In 2008, they actually figured out how to bring up 
and bottle methane. Did you read about this? Yeah, they have methane extraction platforms on on Lake Kivu. Yes, it's a really ambitious project. Uh, Right now it's still in the pilot stage, but it's called Kivu Watt, right? Like Kula Watt. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I love it. I love a good pun. (laughs) Good branding. Um, So it actually did start producing power in 2015. And like you said, it's like a power plant on stilts kind of way out in the water. And it pumps up the super saturated, depressurized water, uh, takes out the methane, releases the CO2, and then sends the cleaned up methane ashore in a pipeline. And it gets yeah. burned to generate electricity. After the, the pipes in Lake Neos in 2001, both the Democratic Republic of the Congo and Rwanda have been taking the dangers of Lake Kivu much more seriously. Mm-hmm. And... As you that would. is kind of what sparked the Kivuwat platform. Interesting. Which is actually a, uh, it's run by Contour Global, which is a UK-based energy company. Yeah, I watched um, a little BBC thing about it. And all the yeah. people on the platform were British. It was the weirdest yeah. thing. <laughs> it's very odd. But then it's run through the local Rwandan entity of Kivuwat. And uh, it goes to uh, onshore gas engines. So obviously the problem of what to do with an exploding lake is a problem that's still being worked on. And it will be decades before the mechanics of these explosions and potential explosions are solved or even fully understood. But I think the most important part of the Lake Neo story is just, you know, it's a big old illustration of what will happen if those questions go ignored. And it seems like... There was this big kind of scientific outcry after the 1986 eruption. And then after they installed the valves, people kind of lost interest. Did you get this sense as well? Yeah. It, They're it just like, well, it's sort ongoing. Of like people are like, oh, it's fine now. Yeah, it's it's this is working and it's fine now. And if you the, look at the journal articles. but yeah. Not, yeah. If you just look at the amount of journal articles in the late 80s compared to the amount of articles now, it doesn't seem like... People are studying it with the same intensity or passion that they were, which is understandable. But But it's worth keeping an eye on because it could happen again. I think so, especially Lake Kivu. That's not the only danger that Lake Neos is posing right now. Oh, did you read about the retaining wall? Yes, the dam. So it's surrounded by a natural dam of volcanic rock. Isaac Njila, I'm... Very sorry if I'm pronouncing his name incorrectly. So he's a geologist at the University of Yaoundé, and he's very concerned that this natural dam will not hold much longer. There's been a lot of erosion. There's already water passing through the lower sections of it mm-hmm. because of the uh, the erosion making holes and little pockets. There have been landslides and seismic activities. If this thing gives way you will have 50 million cubic meters of water flooding downhill into Nigeria and through Cameroon and just it will wipe out everything. And what's going to come with that water, Greg? All of that CO2. Yep. So talk about just a massive, just destruction on a huge scale. You've got the flood coming first and the gas coming afterwards. Nightmare. Nightmare material. The Cameroonian government acknowledges that the wall is weakening, but says that it's not an immediate threat. And a mm. UN team 
led by people from the Netherlands Ministry of Transport and Public Works. Interesting. <laughs> uh, they inspected the dam and confirmed that it was weakening, and their report states that it will breach in the next 10 to 20 years. Now, that was in 2005. So one solution that I liked was pumping some of the water out of Lake Neos yeah. and taking if they just reduce it the pressure by... off that wall. Exactly. Yeah, if the water level gets lowered by about 20 meters, the wall will hold. Right, and so, that also means there's less pressure on the gas at the very bottom of the lake. So in yes. theory, it might help the CO2 problem as well. Yeah. But eh, we could open the paper tomorrow and find that Lake Neos blew its dam and we're in trouble. It's a you hard know, thing. For such a peaceful lake. I it know. Is, it, it's, it is quite a drama queen. It causes a lot of problems for something that... that that looks so beautiful and peaceful. Mm-hmm. So Lake Neos, disaster Disaster 30 years ago could be a disaster again tomorrow. We hope not. But could also be overshadowed by an even worse disaster at a larger lake with even more dangerous danger. Ugh. Sleep well, beloved listeners. Yeah, jeez. The world is safe. Um, also, you know what, what very famous lake in the United States is almost constantly burping? Oh, please don't tell me. Lake Michigan. Really? Yeah. Lake I would Michigan have guessed. Burps. Okay. I would have guessed a different lake. Wait, why does it burp? And what does it burp? I am unsettled by that. It belches carbon dioxide, which is not good. Nope. It is slightly different in Lake Michigan. Uh, lake Michigan is not in danger of a limnic eruption because... All the analysis of it is basically that Lake Michigan is uh, releasing as much CO2 as it takes in. So it's not actually in danger of a limnic eruption. But uh, yeah, Lake Michigan burps, burps CO2. Who knew? Although we gave you slightly exaggerated credentials at the top of the show, we do fact check our stories in an effort to give you the best disaster experience possible. If you'd like to read more about our sources, a complete bibliography is available in our show notes. And if we got anything wrong, please let us know. You can do that by emailing us at relative.disasters at gmail.com. Or why not shame us publicly? We have an <laughs> <Why> Instagram <laughs> at relative.disasters. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Relative Disasters. We hope that you've enjoyed the story and the discussion. And please join us next time for another strange, dangerous, and interesting event from history. My brother has selected our next disaster. What's it going to be, Greg? Well, we're going back to the 1660s. Sweet! We're going to be talking about something that everybody thinks they know about, but the uh, the actual facts of the matter are quite different from what uh, we may have been uh, absorbed from regular culture. We are going to go to the island of Mauritius and talk about the extinction of the dodo. Oh my god. <laughs> that actually sounds super fascinating. I cannot wait to talk to you about that.